Good evening, friends! Hey, here we are, coming to another reading of a Brian Cates column by Brian Cates himself. Now, due to some circumstances I see developing out there in the world right now, they're bringing back their uh, Trump, Russia, Russia, Russia playbook, pretending as if the Mueller Special Counsel Never happened. <laughs> They're just glossing right over that, you know. Just the the really special counsel never happened, and it's just, and, you know, it's just been proven that Donald Trump was a stooge of the Russians. Okay, they're so desperate right now. They're they're being forced to go back to a playbook that's already known and been debunked. And so I thought this would be a good time to go back over. My epic um, three-part column series from last October and uh, early November of last year, uh, Trump the Warmonger versus the Foreign Policy Works of Peace. Yes, I did a three-part series, okay, because uh, I wanted to totally eviscerate this dumb talking point. I could already see them getting ready to trot it back, trot it out back in October of last year about. Uh, Trump is basically the last guy you want in the White House handling any of these flashpoints, these crises around the world, like the Ukraine-Russia conflict, the Israel-Gaza conflict, the China-Taiwan conflict. Uh, he, he's just a dumb alpha move blowhard. You don't want to marry any of this stuff, okay? And so they, they're, all, they're already trotting this out again. So I just wanted... To go back over this and remind everybody, okay, that this this narrative is incoherent, it's stupid, but uh, because we're winning, we've actually placed them in uh, the awkward position where they are forced to go with this messaging again. Now it's not going to work any better than it did back in 2016, you know, the election against Hillary Clinton. So. Without any further ado, let's dive right in. Trump the Warmonger versus the Foreign Policy Wants the Peace Part 1. Remember when the entire international globalist foreign policy establishment told you this whopper was one smothering voice? And just how false it turned out to be? Do you remember when Donald J. Trump became president and by the end of his first year, in office from January 2017 to January 2018, two of the biggest supposedly generational and existential threats he and the world were facing had become quickly receding memories. Of course, I'm talking about North Korea and ISIS. You'll have to stop for just a minute and think hard to recall that when Trump was running for president back in 2015, and then after he won the 2016 election and he moved his family into the White House, we were all treated to months of endless storm undrawings about how Trump was supposedly going to blow up the entire world. Yeah. Now we're looking at this picture of Trump. Take this idiot 
Seriously, as a foreign policy expert in dealing with North Korea and Middle Eastern terror threats like ISIS? Come on, man! Everybody knew he was going to be a massive foreign policy disaster because he didn't listen to the foreign policy experts like all his predecessors had. He couldn't be taken seriously as a candidate for the top executive office because he would create incredibly unstable foreign policy due to his being an arrogant, clueless, alpha male, all-around idiot blowhard. We got months of this. Okay, then after he shocked them all by winning the election anyway, despite the loudly warning the public about what an idiot he supposedly was, they startedly yelled all the more during Trump's first year in office that he was making all the wrong moves and causing the world to be a far more dangerous place because he refused to listen to the, all the same globalist foreign policy experts that every other president had to that point. You remember the globalist foreign policy experts, right? The same uh, Council on Foreign Relations, the CFR, the Atlantic Council, the Trilateral Commission type people that former presidents had all surrounded themselves with and listened to and whose policies they implemented and what all that expert foreign policy resulted in? Yeah. Let's discuss that for a minute. Okay, well, several minutes. This column is going to be much longer than my usual. How was it that the ogreish and ignorant Trump's immediate predecessor who the foreign policy establishment just loved to death and admired so much they bestowed a Nobel Peace Prize upon him before he even done much of anything. How come that guy was unable to make any progress during two terms in the White House when it came to both North Korea and the ISIS terrorist group? Now here we have a picture of Barrett. H. Obama being gifted with the Nobel Peace Prize before he would go on to, you know, drone a lot of people to death, including American citizens. I have a caption, funny caption here. I'd just like to take just a moment and bask in my own awesomeness as I accept this Nobel Peace Prize as I'm prepared to set the entire Middle East on fire while bringing the world to the edge of a nuclear war with North Korea. Awesome job, Barack. Now, President Barack Hussein, I love a man, Obama, not only pulled off an increasingly stupid act of pretending to be helpless from 2012 to 2016 in the face of ISIS, a bunch of oath-bound terrorists gallivanting around Syria and Iraq in slow-moving armored convoys, he was also simultaneously pantomiming utter futility in dealing with North Korea and uh, Kim Jong-un's increasingly unhinged nuclear threat. It takes a lot of talent to do that kind of thing. You're simultaneously pretending to be helpless against ISIS, and you're simultaneously at the same time pretending to be helpless against North Korea. Another funny caption for you, picture of uh, 
Sambu with Ingo Bama next to uninscrutable Kim Jong-un. And Obama's saying, I'm sorry, folks. Kim appears to be impervious to my awesome foreign policy nuance. Followed by Obama making excuses about ISIS. I'm sorry, folks, but ISIS is here to stay, and I can't seem to do anything to destroy them. Obama and the entrenched foreign policy establishment convinced the international public, this wasn't just Americans, you know, the whole world was watching this. They managed to convince the international public that both of these crises, ISIS and North Korea, were modern-day Gordian knots, and that they were intractable problems with very complex issues that required a stable an educated foreign policy hand to deal with them. And Obama being the best and the brightest, you know, guy's a freaking college professor, man. He spent his eight years in the executive office impotently wringing his hands as both threats in the Korean Peninsula and in the Middle East grew larger and larger and larger in the public's mind thanks to endless fake news media coverage. They kept the public's attention laser-focused on them as being very real existential threats. Now, if a man anointed as a foreign policy expert who understands all the nuances involved in dealing with North Korea and ISIS just could not get anywhere and make any real progress against them, what were the chances that a simpleton like Donald Trump could get anything done if the American public made the major and tragic error in judgment of handing Trump the awesome responsibility of dealing with these crises? Now here we have a picture of uh, a very pissed off looking Donald Trump being forced to sit there in the Oval Office and listen to Obama babble and babble. And here's the caption for that picture. Think back to how this transition was being covered at the time. The highly intelligent and nuanced Obama was handing off dealing with North Korea's nuclear threat and ISIS's reign of terror in the Middle East to an idiot who was going to end up blowing up the world after provoking several wars. That's how they covered it, folks. I was there, I'm telling you, that's how they covered it. Now, as we all know, Obama was such an intelligent and nuanced expert in foreign policy, he ended up firing the one intelligence agency head who wouldn't pair it back to him to send happy, happy talk. He wanted to hear about his fabulous Middle Eastern foreign policy. And here we have a picture of Obama with General Michael Flynn. Guess who was telling Obama from 2009 to 2012 that he had ISIS and the Middle East all wrong and got fired for telling him that? A disastrously dumb foreign policy, which ended up setting the entire region ablaze 
and a massive wave of terror and bloodshed after that Arab spring that Obama so eagerly leaped to take credit for it. Remember how that, that crap foreign policy establishment bubbled and cooed about how awesome Obama was after he single-handedly launched the Arab Spring all by his lonesome by giving a speech in Egypt. Ever consider the one reason they endlessly talked up Obama's supposed prescient role for seeing or even causing the Arab Spring? Was that they'd already handed old Juggies a Nobel Peace Prize and they were belatedly trying to justify having done that. Now, Obama gave that speech in Cairo in 2009. By 2011, the Arab Spring had commenced in which Obama managed to successfully walk the tightrope of taking full credit for this emerging Arab Spring while simultaneously ensuring no real freedom or democracy made any gains in the region. So at the same time, Obama's basking in the acclaim of having started the Arab Spring at the United Nations in September of 2012. That's the video I have embedded on the page. President Hillary Clinton spelled foreign policy moves in Iran, Palestine, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria, and especially Egypt and Libya were already starting to bear the awful the Benazi crisis in which 50 plus Americans were essentially abandoned by the Obama administration for hours while under a highly coordinated terrorist attack, only a seat of the past extraction uh, performed on the fly with lots of luck limited the fallout to four dead Americans. That just previewed how all of Obama's second term in the White House ended up being centered on stridently attempting to avoid any responsibility whatsoever for the increasing destabilization of the Middle East. He spent his entire second term running away from what he and Hillary Clinton did and all those Middle Eastern nations. So as Obama and Hillary utterly abandoned Libya in the face of the Benazi debacle, and then compounded that by handing Egypt over to the, to the Muslim Brotherhood, and both countries descended into complete chaos and destruction, the terrorist group that Obama had repeatedly and snidely dismissed as the JV team was somehow allowed to seize almost half of Syria and a third of Iraq. This is just still amazes me. People were talked into accepting the idea that in a region where every country has a fully functioning air force, slow-moving convoys of black-clad, flag-waving ISIS terrorists were simply unstoppable as they also very slowly traveled down highways and byways from city to city and town to town, committing mass executions and seizing major amounts of territory. Here we see some, pic some pictures of uh, ISIS mass executions. Obama dithered and mumbled 
the point here, how he just he could not seem to get any help in the region. No organized military response from the Arab nations under direct threat from ISIS. And so the world watched in amazement as ISIS was allowed to seize staggering amounts of territory. A brutal band of world warrior type terrorists with no air force or air cover whatsoever, completely earthbound in slow moving cars and trucks, and yet unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, this, this the media told you, everybody bought this, all right? You see a map here then, if you're following me along with the column. Uh, on my subject, you can see how much territory ISIS managed to seize by January 2015. So along with Obama and Hillary and John Kerry, the, glo the globalist foreign policy establishment all wrung their hands together publicly for the cameras as they professed their utter and complete impotence in the face of the ISIS threat. But it didn't have to be this way. While Obama and Clinton were making all the wrong moves from 2009 to 2012, alienating key U.S. allies in the region while ignoring world-growing threats, someone had been trying to get their attention and calling for them to reverse the direction they were sailing the U.S.'s foreign policy ship in. As head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, General Michael Flynn had been using everything but signal flags trying to get Obama and Clinton's attention and explain to them why the foreign policy being active was not only naive, but wrong and also incredibly dangerous. Here we have the famous picture of General Flynn testifying to the, um, the House Committee, along with James Comey, John Brennan, and James Clapper. And my caption for that picture is, while everybody else was going along to get along, only one member of a key intelligence or law enforcement agency was refusing to parrot back the happy, happy talk that Obama and his foreign policy, his foreign policy establishment wanted to hear. General Flynn is nobody's parrot. He was not just going to repeat back what these people wanted to hear. He was going to tell them the actual situation on the ground. And that's why he got fired. So trying to do that, trying to tell the truth to the Obama regime, was a constant upstream swim for Flynn as he was surrounded by civilian and military law intelligence agencies that were becoming increasingly politicized by an administration that was hell-bent on ignoring very real threats while focusing on achieving euphoric and illusionary victories against small and non-existent threats. Flynn's finally seems to have gotten Obama's undivided attention by spring of 2014, which is when Flynn was informed that his services as head of the DIA were no longer required, and that Obama was firing him and replacing him with someone who would not be quite so problematic for the administration's direction and goals. So the fatal consequences of Obama's nuanced foreign policy in the Middle East. Waves of dead people in Iran, Egypt, Syria, and Libya. 
This will not be an exhaustive post-mortem on the abject foreign policy failures of the eight years of the Barack Obama administration. I need a full booing, full book-length article for that. I'm mainly going to be hitting the high points while focusing on the Middle East and North Korea. The dumb shit Obama did in Cuba and Mexico and Central South America and Southeast Asia will just have to be skipped over for the time being. First up, betraying the Green Revolution. The most amazing thing for me as Obama was fighting with the Mullahs in Tehran and refusing even token rhetorical support for the Iranian People's Green Revolution was the strident and panicked way that Obama and his two secretaries of state, Hillary Clinton and then John Kerry, repeatedly insisted for the cameras they were most certainly not betraying the Iranian people while they were in the process of betraying the Iranian people. Obama could only muster tepid criticism of the Mullahs after they turned their vicious Republican grandson loose on the Green Movement protesters, making examples such as Nita Sultan, her murder caught on camera as she was shot down in the street. Just a target picked at random to send a message. We're still in charge here and you need to stop protesting and go home before this happens to you. And we will never forget Nita. The Iran deal overall, even American interests. Obama and the foreign policy establishment held bent on getting the Iran deal done patiently waited until the Mullahs had successfully put down the Green Movement to begin negotiating the Iran deal again. And time and again, when Obama's Rodney administration had a chance to send a strong message to Iran's leaders, they dissembled and bumbled and fumbled around in epic displays of weakness and subservience in an attempt not to offend the Mullahs, even when U.S. Navy sailors were seized and held hostage. Now, watching the incredible lengths to which the globalist foreign policy establishment went to get that Iran deal exposed a lot of people involved in that sordid affair. Trump promptly scrapped the deal on taking office in 2017, and of course, Biden threw the doors wide open upon being installed after that stolen 2020 election and invited the entire globalist foreign policy establishment back into the White House, where they're all quickly set about proudly and elegantly attempting to reinstitute that Iran deal. Biden also sent a very strong message to Iran by snidely informing the American public on the anniversary of 9-11 that he was unlocking $6 billion in frozen Iranian assets held in South Korea as part of a ransom payment for hostages. That was a strong message, Lord. I think it was a very strong message to outlaw regimes like Iran that Perhaps they should really start thinking about grabbing some more Americans and holding them hostage forever. That's probably just me. So it should be pretty clear at this point to any rational, disinterested observers that Joe Biden is helping are pursuing the same kind of foreign policies 
that made the Obama administration such a rolling train wreck. Anyway, that's enough highlights on an air. I'm DJ, bouncing Mubarak for our Muslim Brotherhood terrorists. Okay, here's a picture of former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi. Be honest now, how many of you even remember this asshole? The irony of Obama having given that speech that supposedly triggered the Arab Spring in Cairo in 2009 is not lost on any astute foreign policy observer with a long memory. And by long memory, I mean one capable of remembering, remembering things, key international events that occurred further back than the news cycle of the last year. Few countries in the Middle East suffered as much fallout from Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton's incredibly stupid foreign policy moves than Egypt. The full extent of the massive bloodbath unleashed in Egypt by the Obama administration is currently not known, just as the full extent of the loss of life they caused in Egypt is unknown, as there is no fully reliable reporting mechanisms there. People make guesstimates but will never really know because it got that bad. Obama refused to aid the Green Revolution in Iran while simultaneously managing the Papal Mubarak of Egypt and actively helping to replace him with an actual member of the terrorist group, the Muslim Brotherhood. Mohammed Morsi and his Muslim Brotherhood government then proceeded to unleash a bloody wave of terror over that country that led to the first crucifixions of Christians since the first century. The terror was so over the top, it was so unsustainable that the Egyptian people turned on Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood. Morsi's president, presidency lasted but a year, from June of 2012 to July 2013. But the massive damage it inflicted on the country in its brief existence was truly amazing. The fallout from Obama's abandonment of Hosni Mubarak as he allowed him to be toppled and then helping the election of Morsi to the Egyptian presidency continues to be felt in that country to this day. Thousands of Muslim Brotherhood members were sentenced to prison. Hundreds were sentenced to death, with those death sentences being upheld and some of them carried out. Death sentences were still being handed down by Egyptian courts to Muslim Brotherhood members as recently as 2021. So Mubarak may not have been a nice guy in many ways, but at least he didn't unleash a bloody wave of terror on his own country, as Morsi had quickly done. Watching what Obama did by giving Mubarak a very public vote of no confidence and then giving him a firm shove reminded many foreign policy observers of how back in 1978 U.S. President Jimmy Carter made a similarly massive mistake in withdrawing support from the Shah of Iran because he, too, was not a nice enough guy. And so the not-nice guy ended up being replaced by someone only about 1,000 times worse, the fanatical death to America, Mullah's turn. Heck of a trade there, Jimmy. Now, once the horror show of the Morsi president was finally ended, and he and most of his goons ended up in prison. Morsi himself died in prison in 2021 during a new trial before he could be executed. 
The global foreign policy establishment moved on to other exciting adventures in places like Libya and Syria. Killing Gaddafi, bungling Benazi, abandoning Libya. While things were unfolding as they were in Egypt from 2011-2013, another country getting supposedly brilliant foreign policy nuance thanks to the intelligence and sophisticated international machinations of Obama and his intrepid Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was Libya. Just how bad did Obama and Clinton fuck up Libya? Their toppling Muammar Gaddafi without any real plan for what would come next led directly to the now infamous Benazi terrorist attack, which the entrusted pair responded to by completely and totally and utterly abandoning the entire nation like a bad woman. How bad did it get in Libya after that abject abandonment by the smart elitist foreign policy watch of the Obama administration? It got so bad, actual human slavery openly returned. Time magazine was forced to cover this like slave markets that sprung up in Libya following Gaddafi's murder and always been there. And we're not springing up only post-2013 after the U.S. gave up all pretense of managing the country. And there is a picture of Hillary. This is her famous quote. We came, we saw, he died. Yes, he did. You vapid bitch. The globalist foreign policy establishment's one real talent is covering its own ass after a catastrophic failure like Libya. It's not publicly admitted or acknowledged by the think tank wants or by the fake news media that pushes the approved globalist narratives that Hillary had to go after the massive embarrassment in Egypt and Libya, on top of the completely bungled response at Benazi. Yes, she was going to run for president in 2016, so she had to bail early to prepare for her long-awaited coronation. And this is endlessly repeated, so attention cannot be focused on the fact that her tenure as Secretary of State involved one massive fucking blunder after another. After the events in Egypt and Libya, Obama and Hillary found themselves bogged down in Syria. It was as Syria was blowing up over Obama's stupid red line gaffe that Clinton finally bolted for the door and was quickly replaced by John Kerry. Here's a picture of um, Hill Dog and John John together. And uh, my caption for this picture is, if your first thought on seeing both of these people together is, wow, look at all that foreign policy awesomeness contained in this one picture. You've got more problems than I can help you with. So, Drawing a red line in Syria, then trying to erase it. Anybody recall the absurd media coverage as Obama tried to extricate himself from his red line blunder in Syria? Fake news spent months practically claiming Obama either hadn't said any such thing regarding the Assad regime's use of chemical weapons on its own people, 
Or if he had, he was being misunderstood. Nuance and sophisticated readings are vitally important if these globalist experts are to continue the important work of fucking everything up. Things got so bad. I swear I am not making this up. Things got so bad. Old Vladimir Putin was actually presented as writing to Obama's rescue in Syria, helping a brother out. And Obama eagerly accepted the help, launching a proposal in the Western press so he could pretend this had been his strategy. Oh, hope. Um, of course, it soon turned out the Russians were in Syria to help nobody but themselves. So regardless of what Obama may or may not have met that day in Sweden back in September of 2013, a year later, in September of 2014, U.S. troops found themselves on the ground in yet another military conflict, taking on various other ground forces in the region, including Western mercenaries from the Wagner Group, ISIS terrorists, and several Syrian factions fighting for the Assad regime. American troops remained on the ground in Syria until President Donald Trump abruptly announced in December of 2018 that he was withdrawing them. And then, of course, the Pentagon uh, disobeyed the commander-in-chief and they made sure that uh, to this day we still have troops in Syria, you know. Uh, Trump ordered a full withdrawal and the Pentagon, while withdrawing most of the troops that were there, they, we still have troops in Syria to this day. As I, I go on to explain that, tomorrow my view is forces. Okay, excuse me. To this day, it's not at all that clear what U.S. interests American forces were representing as they were on the ground there from September 2014 all the way through 2019. A small amount of U.S. forces are still there, even though Trump ordered a full withdrawal in September 2018. Attempts by some in Congress to remove the last of many U.S. troops in Syria continue to be voted down. And here I show a public news story from March 8, 2023, where Representative Matt Gates of Florida introduced a bill directing Joe Biden to remove some 900 U.S. troops from Syria within 180 days. That bill was soundly defeated in the House uh, by a vote of 321 to 103. So... That's part one. Coming in part two of this series, Obama's blunders with North Korea and then his utter disappointment in not being able to hand the presidential baton to his former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton. And how Trump quickly exposed the entire globalist foreign policy establishment in just his first year in office. And how that same globalist foreign policy establishment that enabled both Bushes the Clintons and Obama and now Biden to start forever wars is about to spend the next year repeating the 2016 playbook against the Donald Trump return to the White House. That's the come. Thank you for listening and watching, and I'll be doing part two 
tomorrow. Be on the lookout for it.